You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders from all over the globe about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am so excited because my guest is James Miller. And James is a licensed psychotherapist and the executive producer and host of the nationally broadcasted and syndicated radio show, Lifeology. James has been in the mental health field for over 25 years. After 14 years in private practice, James left his thriving practice in the Washington, D.C. area and created James Miller Lifeology, where he globally helps people simplify and transform their spirit, mind, and body. Mm, That is tremendous. James, (laughs) welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be a guest on your show today, Tracy. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to hear about your pivots, what you did, your research into the field. And this is, I'm just, I'm a big fan of yours. And for our listeners out there, James and I just recently connected, what, about a couple weeks ago? Yes, it was. Yes. And a friend of a friend, you guys know on this podcast, we all talk about connections. Uh, connected the two. And I reached out to James and he immediately being the super duper guy that he is and connected himself, reached back out to me. So very excited about where this is going to go. Are you ready, James? Yes, I am. I, I truly am. Awesome. Well, James, our listeners, we're really here to talk about the price of leadership. And people, many people call themselves a leader, but they're not willing to pay the price. And we call them linos, leaders in name only. So my, <laughs> I like that. That's great. You know? <laughs> so my father came out with a speech called The Price of Leadership. And it was really the down and dirty of leadership and that leadership is tough. And sometimes you're on the leading edge, sometimes you're on the bleeding edge, but it is the only way to do it. And we have to be victorious in our struggles. So the first price that he talks about that I would love to unpack these four aspects with you is loneliness. Uh, We've all heard that term, it's lonely at the top. But James, in your experience, your extensive experience, and especially with some of the people that you've worked for, the cases, can you unpack what loneliness in a leadership context means, maybe a time when you've gone through it, and what you would share with our leaders that might be in a season of loneliness? Sure. When I think of different just word context overall, there's a denotation and a connotation. The denotation is what it means in the dictionary. And then the connotation, it means what, what you assign to it or what you ascribe to it. So for me, loneliness, it's just a word. It's, it's just, it can be a concept. You know, when we think of the English language, it's just sounds we're making and we assign something to it. So if we assign something that loneliness means this, we're bringing an emotional construct that comes together with it. And all of a sudden it means something greater than what it needs to mean. So for me, when I think of loneliness, it's not necessarily lonely. It's my ability to take time for myself and reflect. So for me, loneliness is not loneliness. It's a time of reflection. When I reflect then I also rebuild myself. So uh, just like you, I'm on a lot of media, do a lot of things. And I'm always talking, always listening. But the best part for me is when I purposely step aside and I reflect because I always ask myself, what am I learning about myself right now? And so when I'm by myself, it's a choice. So it's not, like I said, so I don't consider it loneliness. It's for me, it's a time to reflect, to grow, to reconstruct what I'm struggling with or what I'm learning. And I assimilate that and then I move forward. Now, there were times in my past when I didn't have that specific understanding of what loneliness was. And so I, there were times when I thought, I'm the only one who's doing this. You know, in my field, we work with so many people and it's often people think they're alone and they're not alone. 
And because when we know that everyone goes through something, we all experience the same type of emotions from love, joy, peace, bitterness, rage. That's all. We feel it all. And so when we understand that we all experience that, now we say, well, what do I do with it? So there's nothing new under the sun. We've all experienced this. We've all felt this. But just like I said earlier, if you take an emotional construct or a feeling and you repivot it and you make it what you want, you remove the emotions that go along with it, the heartache, the pain, the suffering. And all of a sudden, that loneliness, that word that could potentially have a negative connotation or hurtful connotation, now it's, it's, a, it's something great. I'm lonely. So this loneliness means I get to regrow and rebuild and reconstruct myself. So I always take everything and flip it around because I decide what it means, not what the construct is or what other people says that it means. Because if that's the case, well, I'm not leading my thoughts. I'm not leading anything else. I'm now following what other people say is what that means. And now all of a sudden I'm beholden to that. So, oh, if I'm, I must be lonely now. I'm not lonely. It's my choice to set myself apart to rebuild and regrow. I love that. Myself. Yeah. And that is a, and just like leadership, there's leadership, but then there's a shadow side of leadership, mm-hmm. all the four terms. And you touched on it. Loneliness, weariness, abandonment have a good, uh, there's always a duality like nature. And I love that you talked about the ebb and flow best day of my life, worst day of my life. I'm still alive. What is the concert? So when did you finally uh, break through and get your mind wrapped around that? Cause you know, emotions drive everything. Mm-hmm. But what would you recommend for people? Uh, how do they get their mind wrapped around what you just sure. did words? Yeah, thank you. What I would tell people as well, you have a primary response and a secondary response. If I were to come up and startle you, you're going to be, you're gonna, you'd be startled. I'm like, ah, and then we laugh because it was me startling you. But <laughs> if, you're still, if you're still startled for the next hour, well, that doesn't make sense at all. So okay. what happens is you have this initial response of something happens in your life. And so when you have this initial awareness, now, yes, I may have that concept of loneliness. Now, that's the first response, like me startling you. And then the second response is once you have the awareness is what do you do with it? And so when you have that second awareness, what do you do with it? Now, it's a self-responsibility that kicks in that says, I now need to do something. If I do feel lonely, well, then reflip it. You flip it to what makes sense for you. So I always tell people it's okay to feel something initially. But as soon as you have the awareness of what's going on, that's when you do something different. In psychology, we have what's called radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is a fancy term that basically means you take the facts as they are. doesn't mean you like it. doesn't mean you're okay with it. It just simply means these are the facts. And when you look at the facts, then that turns your mind into, now what do I do with it? So yeah. anytime someone is, is lonely or there's, they have a new idea or there's something that's happening with them, that first initial response can have fear, can have can trepidation, whatever it is. But then as soon as you're aware of it, that's when it flips over and you make that choice. So for me, that's what I did. I, like, like you said in the intro, things are going really well in my life and I felt like I just reached my plateau of what I was doing. And so I thought, okay, well, I want to do something different. So as I started to do that, I had a lot of well-meaning people and not so well-meaning people tell me it was a bad idea. And we've all heard this. This isn't anything new when it comes to entrepreneurship. But the point was for me, I heard that and I had a choice. Okay, the not so well meaning people said things, but my choice was, how do I want to internalize that? So I I did not internalize it that I wasn't going to be successful. I internalized it into, ah, that's something I'm going to remember when I am struggling. So every single time I heard something that was different, I was excited to hear that because I was like, now I have more ammunition for myself or more, more evidence to prove that I must be doing something right. Because if, mm-hmm. as we know, if everybody could do it, everybody would do it. Right. So that was for me when I hear something that could be construed as something that could be harmful or that I'm the only one doing it, et cetera, I flip it around and to say, this is evidence that I can use later when I am struggling because we all struggle. And so for me, I think it was when I was 30 years old 
is when things kind of settled for me in the sense of, aha, you know, just like many of us, I had a lot of accolades in my 20s. I was a professor at university. I mean, all these things. And so I, <laughs> but I, I wasn't really strong in my mind, if you will. I, mean, I was running all over the place. And then when I was 30 years old, I remember it was January 16th, I had this epiphany. And in that epiphany, I was standing on my balcony and I was really struggling with something. And I was like, why, why does this seem so hard? And I'm a person of faith. And so I was like, God, when is this going to stop? And I felt he was like, well, when do you want it to? I was like, wait a minute. What do you mean? What? What do you mean? And so that was so eye opening for me in the sense of if I continually cause myself to feel a certain way or be in pain or whatever it might be, that's my choice to stay in it. And so that's where the first response and the secondary response, how I really make sense, right? So if I'm doing all these things and life seems hard or whatever it might, whatever um, is happening in my life, that's the first response until I had that epiphany of, well, if I don't want to feel that way anymore, then don't feel that way anymore. And I don't minimize anybody's struggles because it's not always that easy. But it is important to know that once you get through the first response, and that can be grief. And if you're grieving something, you get to decide how long grief is. So it's not, you know, a one and done, you know, five seconds, I feel this way, and then I move on. So I would never, ever minimize that. But the more you get to know yourself and the more you understand what your options are, because there are always options. And so when we recognize there are options, once you realize how long that you've been feeling this way, and then once you use a radical acceptance of accepting the facts as they are, then you change that. So that's something for me when I had that epiphany of, if I don't want to feel this way anymore, then don't feel that way anymore. I love it. Boy, am I glad I asked that follow-on question. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I love how you unpack that. And you really talked about habits and the power of thought. And it's always in here, but you have to get past that reptilian brain kind of response. And I love that you look at and loneliness as something for this introspection, for this self-awareness, you said it. How well do you know yourself? That doesn't happen in the presence of many people, others. That is a singular thing between you and I am a person of faith, you and God, (laughs) to have that inner dialogue. Okay. And if if you're not a believer, then it's you, you, yourself, and you, Mm -hmm. you know, that never happens in a room full of whatever. So I love that you looked at loneliness as that time to really peel off and get that clarity. You know. And I really appreciate you saying that. I remember I was listening to a podcast today and I was listening to the, the expert on the show and, and here this person saying this wonderful message, but in my mind, because I could be a little too pragmatic at times, they said a couple statistics. I was like, well, that statistic's not right. And I was going through this and it, it, once again, it has nothing to do with who this person was. But when I was heard myself, my inner dialogue, I was like, wow, James, that's a huge blind spot. So here you are the quote expert, which I never want to be considered that because I'm still learning. But my point was, when I heard my inner dialogue, I asked myself, what are you learning about yourself right now? And in that moment, I realized I'm not listening to what the person's saying. I'm listening for something else. And so it was really humbling. So when I recognized that, I sat back and just listened. I wasn't listening for any facts or anything else, just the message. And I think that's one thing as leaders, we often have to get everything right. And it's 100% right all the time. And I know I don't get everything right all the time. But my point is, is that when as a leader listening to other leaders or other people who could be your subordinates or people who work for you, if you're looking for something to be 100% right, well, then your motivation for being a leader is off. Your motivation for or what's happening is not truly holistic. And so I always tell people, you know, uh, success is like a bank account. Whatever you put into it is what you get out. So when it comes to leadership and it comes to success of that, if I'm myopic or only looking at one, one version of that, I'm not looking at the whole spectrum of what success means or what leadership means. So if I'm looking for to hear that all the facts are right, which is important, but if I'm not hearing the messaging or how that's being presented, then I'm missing out on so much of the meat of what someone is saying. So I, in that moment today, when I heard that, I really sat back and I was like, wow, you, you're, you're, you're not learning. You're not growing the way you typically think you are. So here I am thinking I should learn a certain way. And so, you know, in, in a certain format, but if I'm not learning that, 
I'm not open to hearing what someone has to say. It's a huge blind spot. So I love the fact that when we have these moments and they can be very humbling, but in order to be a healthier version of oneself, one always has to recognize that you're not perfect. <laughs> you don't know everything. And so I always love, like I said, to flip things around, you know, everything's like a cube for me. When I, I move that it. cube around to look at different versions of myself or what I'm learning, I see so many blind spots that once again, the first response, secondary response is what you do with those blind spots. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you talked about loneliness and now we're going on to something tied to that and that's weariness. And uh, you know, as well as I do, even when you're dialed in, there's varying shades of weariness. So how do you stay replenished and recharged? Because we, the body's a temple and the mind is a garden. So how do you combat weariness? How do you deal with that, James? I always tell people how you start your day is indicative of how your day is going to go. So if you start your day, if you wake up and you know you hit the snooze button five or six times, totally fine. But if you know that you've started your day not being prepared for something, then all of a sudden you're, that snooze button, then you hit a few more times and you're late for work. And then, then you start your day in this frenzied moment. Yeah. I, my thing that I tell people is you start planning for your day the, the day before. Yes. So just yes, you, you yes, plan yes. when you're going to go to bed because that's sleep is the most important thing. And so I'll get back to the self-care in just a second or the weariness. But for me, if I know I have a long day you know, tomorrow, I plan my tomorrow for by tonight. So what time am I going to bed? And so with that, I reverse engineer things all the time. So if I reverse engineer it, so if I need to bed, be to bed by 10, well, then what am I doing at nine? What am I doing at eight? If you hear my, look at my phone, like I have alarms that go off like every two minutes. Some people are like, you set it for random times, but that's just how my mind works. So when it comes back to weariness, how you start your day means when you go to bed, what time you wake up. Every morning, I, this is my routine and it's, it's just specific for me. Everyone has, can have a different version. But I, because I'm on the radio, I've actually recorded it happened to be 18 minutes, nine minutes of the characteristics I want to demonstrate um, that I will, will demonstrate today that I'm a person, a person of, um, I'm, I'm kind, I'm, I'm loyal. And I hear all those attributes and I hear it over and over and over again. And then the second part of that is I review my goals. And so I have my year goals, my six month goals, my three month goals, my daily goals. And so with that, I update it all the time. So every morning when I walk my dog, I hear that. And that is how I start my day. So with that, that strengthens my spirit. That strengthens my body as I'm walking. And that creates my intellect as well. So I I know for me, if my date is a little off or I'm a little bit behind and I don't hear that, and that's part of the ritual because rituals are very important. Healthy rituals mm-hmm. are very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I don't, if I don't do that, I know that it's a little off for me. Mm-hmm. So once I do that for in the morning, my, my spiritual side, and everyone can have a different idea of what spirituality means, that's my spiritual side. And then I also am able to move my schedule around so that I'm, I'm in the gym all the time. For me, the gym is not how you look. It's I do that physically because it burns off any, any anxiety I may have, any stress. And so I look at it in three parts. So I have my spirit, mind, and body, or spirit, soul, and body, however you want to call it. So for me, my spirit is what I do in the morning. My body is something I will do every day at, at the gym or some form of exercise. Because the more my spirit, the more the my spiritual side, and, and for some people that can be their connection with God, that can be their inner cheerleader, that really, that sense of hope, you can do it, you can do this, James. It, however you want to view it. So that's one thing I look at. So the more that becomes that strengthened, my body better be strengthened because my intellect is going to continue to rise. So I look at it in all sense that everything I do has to should, I want it to, I'm careful of my word choices there. I want to make sure that every level continues or everything continues to rise at the same level. 
because there are going to be times when my body isn't well, but my spirit side and my mental side, my intellect can help me through this. Or sometimes when it feels like all hope is lost and then I can use my logical mind to say, well, you felt this way before. What did you do? And then my body allows me to actually activate that. So it's, it's so important because the more strengthened that all three of your, those parts are in your, in your life. And you can always draw on one of them because it's not always going to be throughout the same level all the time, but that's the goal in my opinion. So when it comes back to weariness, if I don't engage in self-care, because we're all super busy and <laughs> when it's more busy we are like, oh, what's one more 10 minute meeting? And then you look at your schedule like, oh my gosh, like tomorrow, this just happened to be, I have a 12 hour day tomorrow, which is fine. But the point is I've learned what to do when it comes to how do I flex my time to get some self-care. Self-care is one of the most important things to combat weariness, because if you don't have self-care, healthy self-care, then all of a sudden you're overextended, you're overtaxed. So self-care doesn't mean you have to go you know, to a spa all day. It can just simply mean a five minute or one minute breathing exercise. You inhale through your nose, that actually um, decreases the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, which allows people who struggle with anxiety to actually feel more relaxed. You want to breathe in through your right nostril by itself, and that actually gives you more energy. So learning how to do something simple as that allows for people to learn how to combat weariness. Weariness, in my opinion, is a state of mind. It's not necessarily a state of a physical state. Mm -hmm. It can be, but weariness is more your the inability to find the endurance to maintain something. So <laughs> my work is always preventative. And so the more prevention you have by, for me, my, my morning ritual, by my physical uh, part, all that as well as something I do to combat weariness. So I, I don't get to the place where I'm weary. And then if I do start to feel that, I purposely pull back and just really understand what's happening for myself, do some right. self-care. There's something people can do as well as I have, and what I teach in my, in my show, is to create two scales for yourself. On a scale of one to 10, how am I feeling emotionally? 10 is the highest. And how am I feeling physically? So when I start my day, I create those scales. So if I can wake up, I'm like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like an eight today of my emotions. But if my body's low, as I have some allergies today, then I would say maybe a four or five. So throughout the day, when I recheck it with myself, then at noon, if I find that that eight level is now at a five, but what happened from the time I woke up until noon? What was that about? So if something happened and it happened at 9 a.m., but it's 12 and I'm still struggling with that, well then let it go. And so that's something that people struggle with is because they don't realize that they can reset at any time. So that little skill of doing the two scales is, you know, you start in the morning, do one at noon, do one at 6 p.m., do one before you go to bed. Because when you can recognize that you're training yourself to be able to say, I'm holding on to something that's no longer important in this moment, mm -hmm. but I'm physically or mentally holding on to that. And in doing that, that's causing me to not be present in the new activity I'm doing. So mm -hmm. that's how another way that people can, can combat weariness is by checking in with yourself and resetting until the next time you check in. And the more often you do that, it becomes a natural habit. When it becomes a natural habit, then you don't have to set those times aside. You can immediately feel what that is. You reset it, you recalibrate, and then you move on to the next thing. And it just happens. Well, and I love, you know, we talk about this a lot, the three-legged stool that you talk about, yeah, mind, body, and spirit. And I love that you talk, we all know that we're congruent and, you know, got to be good in all areas. But I love the fact that you brought out, if you take a hit to one, if a crisis happens or something that really stresses your faith or whatever, if you're, the stronger you keep your body, because there are times when you're not going to be able to go on, but physically you're going to be healthy enough, yes. a clear enough mind, because we still are flesh and bones and yeah. that that can really carry you. So I love that you hit on not only that we know we're supposed to do that, there's a lot of stuff we know we're supposed to do, but you're going to need that because you don't know. Look yes. at COVID. You don't know when some scary disease is going to happen that, oh, by the way, if you're in robust physical health, you don't really have to fear, but maybe a <laughs> tiny little bit, yeah. you know? So it's like, if people only did that, then they could be like, yeah, this sucks. But I, in the grand scheme of things, I have this other leg that even though this scariness is coming in, 
I don't have to yield to that because I know my body's robust enough that I, I'm going to get through this. Yes. yes you know, exactly. Uh, but you talked about, okay, so loneliness and we talked about weariness, all the things you're talking about when I feel weariest, not good weary, where I lay down and go, oh, I kicked butt today and took names. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I feel weariest is when I am unfocused. And you mm. hit me on that. So abandonment, you know, typically yes. we love animals. James is a dog mm. lover. Abandonment in our doggy lingo is a bad word. But, but in my father's vernacular world of flipping things around, as you mm. love to say, abandonment is you need to be abandoning what you want and like to think about what favor, what you want and need. And typically when I deal with weariness, it's because I've lost my focus. Yeah, so James, can you unpack that for a bit. How do you, I know you shared a lot. You are focused, mm-hmm. man. No wonder you're on top of your game, your <laughs> habits and your shrewdness. I love people that are shrewd because they're like, all this stuff is going on, but I'm folk laser focus. Can you share with us maybe a time when you lost your focus or some things you need to constantly be pruning off so you can stay in at the head of the lifeology ship? Thank you. You know, it's, uh, I, I reflected many times when I was unfocused for me, sometimes people think James, you're too focused. And the reason why they say that is because I, you know, for example, I, I remember, uh, there was a holiday, it was a holiday a couple years ago and I'm sitting here on my balcony, uh, drinking a glass of wine, reading a book and have my dog on my lap. And so it was beautiful because and I was supposed to go out that night and people were running late and like, Oh, come out. And I thought, you know, I don't want to do that because I, it's a hundred, I'm a hundred percent content right now, why would I go out if it's a 50% chance of being content or not, if I'm liking where I'm at? So I was like, no, I, I'm choosing to stay here. And so people like, well, you're too focused. You're too, too regimented or too structured. And the thing is that when it comes down to that, we all can be, but the point is, is that if you know what's working for you now and it's, and it's still growing and it's viable, why change it? Why reinvent the wheel? So when it comes to abandonment overall, when you abandon insecurities, when you abandon many things that hold you back, that's where the liberation happens. There's a, let me see if I can remember this quote. She who returns halfway through the race goes as far as she would have had she continued the race. So in other words, you're halfway there and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't do this. And so you go back the way you started. But if you've gone a little bit further, you're already halfway uh, there. So why not go a little further? Yeah. And so that's when it comes to the abandonment aspect of it. So like, like we said earlier, the connotation of the denotation, the connotation of, of abandonment can mean whatever you want. The denotation, like the dictionary, that's what it means when it comes to just something being forsaken. But when I think of abandonment, I think of more of it, probably more like your father as well, which is just that sense of if I hold on to things that don't serve me anymore, I can only go as far as I can go. For example, this cup right here, if this is my goal, but if half of this is full of things that just don't serve me, well, I've already, my cup's full. So what else am I going to do? When you think about life and your habits that you have, what works for you and what doesn't work for you? When I think back on my life five years ago, those things don't really serve me today because I'm at a different level. Yes. So when someone can be aware of that, then it's like, okay, well, let me revisit this as well. I talk about the graph of fulfillment. So on a horizontal line, if someone were to do this, you'd break your life down into as many components as possible. So your relationships, your friendships, your intimate relationships, your health, wellness, finances, spirituality, whatever it might be. And so when you look at that, then you on, on the vertical line, you have a scale of one to 10 and you take some time and you can use maybe a six month timestamp And in that, what you do is, and you look at every area of your life. So I can look at my health will be at this number, finance is this number. And so with that, that creates a really good snapshot of where you are in your life. So if you see that some, your numbers are low, well, then this is where that abandonment would come in. Well, then what am I doing that's still causing me to feel this way? Do these things that my numbers are low. So what, what is, what are these habits or what are these belief systems or constructs that I have in my mind? If those things are holding me back, well then let them go. And so that's Mm -hmm. something I really 
want, and I love teaching that part because it's so important because there's so many things from just a seed, a thought that can pull someone back, which all of a sudden that, as we know, a thought, can, it, the bigger it goes, you know, the more you water it, it becomes a, a bush or it becomes a tree. And so it's harder to pull a tree out than it is to just not water a plant. So mm -hmm. when you think of it in that respect is how do you let some of these things go? So I can say many opportunities or many things in my life when I realize I'm still holding on to some negative thought structures. I had uh, Dr. Valerie Young, she's the expert on imposter syndrome. She was recently on my show and a brilliant one. And she was talking about the different aspects of, I think there's seven different subsets of the imposter syndrome and seven out of 10 people feel like they're an imposter. And so it's learning how to say, well, what is it that I'm still doing that's causing me to feel like I'm an imposter? And that's something that to be aware of and that's something to let go as well. And so that's how I would really describe for me what the abandonment looks like is to constantly look at your life and to say, where am I not growing and developing? And for yes. me, once you recognize that, because in psychology, we teach that whatever you think to be true, uh, your thought systems, your perspective determines what you feel. Your feelings determine what you do. And so with that, if my actions are not lining up with where my goals are, well, then something's happening in my mind or I'm focusing on something. And so that's the struggle. So there are actually 15 common thinking errors. So thinking errors are called cognitive distortions in my field, but the lay terms is thinking errors. So there are 15 different versions of that. So if we think about that, thinking error would be black or white thinking, all or nothing thinking is I have to do all this or I can't do any of this or catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is another fancy term that basically means you take something and you create a mountain out of a molehill. Right. So it's the worst case scenario. So if there are 15 different common thinking errors and think, think of a thinking error like a, a template. So it's kind of, or glasses rather will do that. So the, whatever lens you use determines how you see things. So when you're aware of this and you can look at this in your life and say, why do I always argue with my boss? Or why do I always argue with this person? Or why why does it seem like it's so difficult here? More than likely you or someone is using one of those 15 common thinking errors. Mm -hmm. So the awareness you have with that allows you to say, okay, okay, well, let me look at what this thinking error is. I'm the type of person, and I'm sure you are as well, that if you can put a name to something. Right. You name it and then you normalize it and then you fix exactly. it. Exactly. You, yes. You put flesh on it and go, I can deal with this. Yes. yes. And that's one thing with my brand I really try and do is there's always a name. That's why I'll, I'll use the terms. People can look it up. I'll use the, the technical term, the lay, layperson's term, because it's like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. So right. people know what that is and they can tackle it. Oh, I didn't know that that's what that was. There's something for that. And so that's really what happens. So when you think of the different common thinking errors, when you recognize what they are, then that's when you can say, I don't want this anymore. I want that abandonment. You know, I'm going to abandon what that, what that is. I'm going to let that go. And now I'm going to fill something up just like that cup with something yeah. that's healthy, with something that goes back to my self-care, which goes back to my spirituality, which goes back to my intellect, whatever my whatever it might be. So the recognition of where something is struggling allows you to then say, let me find the answer, right. let me figure that out, and then let me reset. Right. Exactly. Right, 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 right. Well, and I love that you talked about, hey, people say, well, I feel. Okay, but thoughts is where it starts. Yes. It's all, and people are like, well, I just, I'm just this way. No, 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 no. As a man, think it. Mm -hmm. Everything originates with the thoughts, so I love that. And I love, James, that you talked about, really, this is a process. And the older you get, this is why I love getting older, because I, know. <laughs> I feel like I'm more, I know myself better. And if I want to sit and go away from the crowd, and I know people think we're weird, but they're the ones that are weird. I'm just kidding. They're, no, sir. No, they are. I'm kidding. <laughs> when you know yourself so well, and people, I get to say, oh, Tracy, you're such a, a nut cutter. You're so, or you're in the TT that the they mm -hmm. could say, that, and I'm like, I know, but this is, it's not a reactive thing. It's I'm lasering in yes, and yes. I don't want to waste any more time. And I yeah. don't want to waste your time. And I just, I know me better now. Mm -hmm. 
for saying it's a beautiful process. It really is. And I agree with you. You know, when I think, when I look back on different areas and how I view something uh, today, is, it was different from before. So I always tell people, it's not, is this a good habit? Is this a healthy habit? Because yes. two years from now, if, I, if I'm getting older and things change in my life, well, then that habit will be healthier than, or I will have to rethink what that habit looks like. So it's not about you're demonstrating good or bad. I like to think in healthy. So when we use the good or bad, it, it sometimes can go into that unhealthy thinking era of black and white thinking or polarized thinking. And then unfortunately that is not healthy. So it's always for me, is this a healthy experience for you? And yeah. instead, of, instead of, is this a positive experience? Or is this a good experience? Because it's not necessarily that it's everything is on a continuum and you get to decide what that continuum looks like for you, you based off that. of what makes sense for you or what resonates with you. Well, and I think for our leaders out there too, just as a side note, because you are so versed in the mental health thing, you know, that black or white, either or baby out with the bathwater. And you mm-hmm. talk about even listen to the podcaster, the term is dichotomous thinking. And mm-hmm. if you get so rigid, that can put you in like a DSM you oh my know, gosh, yes. Uh, yes. personality disorder. disorder. <laughs> so I let people know, hey, we all have these tendencies and we're okay, but it's not healthy even in the littlest bit. Mm. Eliminate that and uh, eradicate it because I can yeah. be, I was in the military. I'm a rule abider. If anybody was coded black and white thinking, where's me? And I had to look at this and go, okay, this is, can be good and this can go off the rails very fast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I want to go back to what you said, if I may. Uh, oh, sure. When you're talking about how you're right. Everything is with your thoughts. There's actually five different ways in which people think. And this is my version of it. So the way that thinking works is sometimes we have, someone can hear, and I don't mean this in a psychotic way, but you can hear, you know, if I'm thinking, I can hear my own narrative. I actually hear my voice where other people will hear someone else's voice. So for example, I have a lot of, a lot of people who listen to me like, James, I heard you say this. And I don't mean literally hearing, but their mind, the way they replayed it, or they replayed advice that they would give themselves, they would hear my voice. Then you have the snapshot of like a picture of seeing what that looks like. Uh, so for example, if someone takes a snapshot of us talking right now, people who view this, then that would be the memory they would have, but there's, a, there's something that goes behind it. Then the other people have the version where it's actually a scene that plays out, like a movie scene. And then other people have like a figure of what that would mean. So for example, if I were to say, if I were to say I'm depressed, some people would have the, you know, the, the casebook study of they would see a cloud over my head. And so they think more in figures, or it's more abstract. So it's not actually words. So the five different ways in which we all think, when you're aware of what that is, then you understand yourself even better. And this goes back to leaders as well. When you talk to somebody, you want to be mindful of how you say something. So for example, we'd all hear it in, in therapy, like, how does it make you feel? Which is one of the most, for me, one of the most annoying things because that's wrong. And what the reason by that is this, I always tell people, how is that for you? Because if they tell me an emotion, okay, well, then they think at an emotional level based off of their thoughts. Sure. Or if they th- or if they say, give me the facts, well, then that's a very linear, very fact-based. Analytical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But if yeah. I say, well, how does that make you feel? And they're analytical. Yeah. Like, crap, I'm not sure. How do I feel? And so, <laughs> and that's mean, a struggle. Yeah. So when you think of the five different versions of how people think, how you think, and then when you hear how they respond, you'll know kind of how it is for them. And it makes so much, it's, it creates so much more effective communication. Yes. So when you tell someone, how do you feel? And they, and you hear that the response isn't really giving you a feeling or they're struggling with that. Unfortunately, you put them in a box and it's not going to be an effective communication right. style because they're right. not going to understand what you mean. So if you just say, how is that for you or whatever terminology you'd like to use, you hear how they respond and then you shift your response to them to match theirs. And in that matching aspect, it, now you can have an effective communication and be able to get to the goal or achieve the goal that you want. 
I love it. Well, and my father, I was listening to another speech of his the other day, and he said, first of all, there can be no communication without identification. Correct. So Correct. we have to co-identify. And I love that you said that when talking. That's a wonderful leadership tip because I'm like you. I'm an engineer. Okay. I'm analytical. I want content. And you ask me about feelings and I'm like, oh, so <laughs> I, I'm out. I'm out of here. Not that I'm not exactly. helpful, my feelings are yeah, incredibly emotive, but that doesn't, that's, yeah. you know, we're, we're past that. So I love that you said that. Okay. Loneliness, awareness, abandonment. The last one he talked about is vision. And I can remember that kind of is a, a, you know, you hear about the big, hairy, audacious goal or Mark Zuckerberg or Oprah, this, this Nostradamus. And I can remember as a little kid growing up thinking, well, I'm not a visionary. I'm just Tracy. But my dad always told me, hey, vision is just seeing what needs to be done because a lot of people see it and doing it. So yes. can you unpack what vision means for you? Because you are a very, you're blue sky, but you're also blueprint. And I love it. You bring it down because if you can't apply it, yes. you can't change behaviors and build a life. Exactly. So can you unpack vision for us, Jay? Sure. One, one thing I always tell people, and I'm sure this isn't new, but if you're, if I'm going from LA to New York and it's a long drive. And so at night I'm driving and if I can only see 30 feet in front of me because of my lights, well, I still know I'm going to where I still know that my destination is there, but all I can see is 30, 30 feet in front of me. So people can have the big goal, but that's, that's an example of, I, sometimes I know, what do I do for the next five minutes? And so when I'm aware of the vision of where I want to go, then that allows me to say reverse engineer it. Well, then how do I get there? And so when you reverse engineer, sometimes it can be, all I can do is just do something for the next minute. Yeah. Oh, I, I did that. I feel successful. And now what do I do for the next minute? And so you, you know that your actions and your, your thoughts, act, thoughts, feelings, and actions are moving towards that. You know that, that you're moving towards your vision. When I was a child, I had really audacious uh, ideas. And I always tell people, go back to when you were a child. You dreamt something. So when you're a child, what did you say you wanted to be? And so sometimes, you know, people say a doctor, lawyer, engineer, wh whatever it might be. But there is a reason why you said it. Now, it could be because your parents wanted you to be that. But when you got a little bit older, you thought more about that. So when you're in a latency age, which would be between 7 and 11 years old, a lot of your personality would come out. And so in that, you would have ideas. But sometimes life happens. It happens to all of us. And we move our life in a different direction. And so what I always tell people when they want to reset themselves, go back to that time when you were younger. What, ask people, what did I say when I wanted to be younger? And ask your parents, your family, how was I when I was younger? What, was my, what were my interests? And so when you're aware of that, you, life has not tainted a person or made someone jaded because that's really what you wanted to do. And so when it comes down to the vision, okay, well, am I going the direction I like? Is it, what, what's the feeling I get? Or what's the fulfillment that I'm feeling? So you can use that graph of fulfillment to determine the direction you're going. So mm -hmm. the vision can be this huge thing or the vision can be, what's my vision for today? What's mm -hmm. my vision for the next five minutes? So I always want people to know that when it comes to life, if you're not sure where your path is going to go, you can come back to the smaller moments of what allow, what what inspires me. And a lot of that comes back to when you were a child as well. When people struggle with that, that really is because they're often, their motivation, and I say this respectfully, sometimes their motivation for life is a little off and that's where the metrics of success comes in. So sometimes people can be really top heavy and wanting finances. And so if they want finances, which is great, but then they've lost quality of life. And so when it comes to the focus or the, the vision itself, you want to say in a perfect world, what would this look like? And therapy we have is called the, the magical door theory or magical door technique. So you point to the door and say, okay, if you were to walk out this door and everything was different, your life was different, what would be different? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's a magical door. You walk out the door and what happens? And so with that, then they say, okay, well, 
my relationship would be different. Okay, well, why would it be different? And so when you really have people kind of think of that, they go through the magical door in their house or their office. And when they have that understanding, then it makes them shift to what would be different in their life. Because once there's a nudge of a thought that could be different, that seed then allows for someone to say, aha. I was telling you um, earlier when we, when we met, when it comes to my show, I look at my show kind of like the assembly line of self-development. I'm at the very front of the assembly line to say, maybe there's something different. So to ask that question you know, with a magical door, what would be different? And so with that slight shift in one's perspective or perception, all of a sudden starts to create a slightly different vision. What's really cool that some people may or may not know about this is if they're trying to do something new, so use that magical door technique just before you fall asleep, what would be different? And so just before a person falls asleep, there's a theta frequency in the brain. So there's many different frequencies, the alpha, beta, delta, gamma, and then, but there's the theta one itself. And that one is just before you fall asleep. That is where you can actually, the more you think about it, and then you fall asleep, your subconscious all of a sudden starts to create that. And so it's, it's also the unconscious or the non-conscious mind, which is basically the kind of like a database of everything you've ever thought. So your non-conscious mind then kicks in, which then says, ah, okay, well, if we want to do this, what would need to change? So that's why in the middle of the night, if you ever woken up, you're like, oh, I remember what I was going to say. That's because you thought about it before you went to sleep and your non-conscious mind thought about it and it woke you up and you knew what it was. So that's why I always tell people, anytime you want to make a change, really envision it just before you fall asleep. Your non-conscious mind then assimilates that, figures it out, and you wake up one step closer to being that person. Now, your life circumstances may not be different, but the cognitive restructuring has now changed. Right. Now, your, your vision is greater because now you believe it even more. So like I said, vision can be in so many different things, but when it comes to change, it's simply the envisioning of it. So like I said, use that magical door technique, walk out the door, and now you start to think what would be different. And in that, that's where you will move towards it. Because there's nothing worse than... I'm sorry, I'm talking 100 miles an hour here. I guess. No, I love it. Go on, go on. <laughs> okay. And it's transcribed, so don't worry. Okay, good, good. All right, I'll, I'll try and speak more slowly. I heard myself. My internal dialogue as I was doing my own little little scales there. I was like, oh my Lord, Miller, you're talking really fast. All right, but the funny thing is, in anytime someone says, I can't imagine doing this again, or I can't imagine if this is the rest of my life, or oh, we have to do that again, that unfortunately is a thought or behavior of mediocrity. Mediocrity doesn't mean you're mediocre. It just simply means the thought structures and the behaviors you're doing are over and over, or you're doing it over and over again. And there's, no, there's very minimal self-development. And with minimal self-development, one does not grow and develop and to be able to, to be that person or to be able to accomplish what they want to do. So when in your thoughts, if you're automatically hearing that or feeling like, oh, I just don't want to do this, more than likely what you're bringing to the table is a mediocre presentation. Once again, you're not mediocre, but the, the habits that have been created have happened so many times that all of a sudden we don't realize we're just on autopilot. And autopilot's good at times, but it's not healthy. So it's good to be aware that it's that if you're having those thought structures, then more than likely you are struggling there. So use the magical door technique. What would be different? If I don't want to feel this way anymore, if I, I, if I can't imagine doing this anymore, well, then what would I do? And that allows a person to rethink that to say, oh, okay, well, let me try that. And mm -hmm. so one little step away from something is closer to your goal. And yeah. so another one of my favorite uh, quotes is, the last person in the race beats the person on the couch. Yes. So if I'm the person who is wants to do something different, then just simply stand up. And that's really what I tell a lot of my listeners as well. If they want, if they're trying something new, like, oh, this is just so overwhelming. But usually when they think that, they're usually sedentary. So when someone's sitting down or thinking something that's overwhelming, I just tell them, all you have to worry about is just standing up. When you can stand up, boom, you literally see the world in a different way. So your perspective changes because now you're, you're at the height of where you typically are. Oh, well, if I'm already standing up, then let me take a few more steps. Mm -hmm. And that allows for someone to enact their vision 
by simply standing up. And so, and I say that because it's so practical, but it's literally all you have to worry about is just simply standing up. And when you stand up, you'll find that the world literally looks different. Yeah, your perspective is shifted. Oh my gosh, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And I love that you dialed into the subconscious because again, somebody like me, you know, I call it the Holy Spirit, Napoleon Hill hit on it, but it's just this mm-hmm. divine thing in us that is this huge untapped thing, but is a product of everything we've been through and the conscious mind shuts it up. And I love the magical door, the magic door exercise, because I, at night, I plan out my speeches or my next day. I'm, oh, I'm like yeah. you, I'm very structured. And I find I sleep good, but I never thought about that. Just before you go off, think about structuring that because your subconscious has the power. It has the answers. And we just, the conscious, the layers of people telling you self. And I love that you talked about the early childhood development of the brain. And one of my classes on, on uh, pedagogy. When you're nine, that's when you're most likely to know what you want to be when you grow up. Learn ex- That's why kids can learn languages. Oh my gosh. And then the world starts covering you and draining yes. you. And so a lot of people like go back to when you're a kid. I'm like, go back to when I'm a kid, but I never wanted to be a kid. I wanted to be a leader. But that is where, that's where you are most authentic with who you wanted to be. So thank you for bringing that up because I used to think that was crazy. And then I studied the science of it and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. If I also say this as well, when it comes to the vision, I um, when I started Lifeology back in 2015, I was uncertain of how that would look. I mean, I, I, my goal, even since I was a little child, was to have my TV show, which we're going to be filming that just very, very soon. But for me, when I started Lifeology, I thought, okay, well, I want to do this, but how am I preparing myself for this? So what I did was every day for six months, I did a YouTube channel. And so if everyone watches my YouTube channels, it's <laughs> Content's good. Presentation was lacking. But the good good thing is now I have a juxtaposition where I can compare and contrast from where I was to where I'm at. And where I'm going to be in the future is going to be more polished. But my goal was to do something every single day for six months to really practice being on camera again. Because when I was younger, I did a lot of television film and I was on stage all the time. And so for me, I was it had been a while. And so I was like, well, how do I do this? So I would take, I would look at my own life and I would look at or listen to other people that around me and I would create little three minute videos. And those little videos are really what my brand is about when it comes to the life lessons I teach. We all have life lessons to learn and life lessons to teach. And so what I practice that, and I practice how to be very concise and very specific. And the goal was to be able to be ready. So then when my TV show happened, I can slip right into that. Yes. And I think sometimes we forget that vision is seeing something. But like you said earlier, if there's no action behind it, right. then that all it is, you're seeing something. I can see a beautiful photo. But sometimes I would like to be in that photo. So I w- will envision myself. Oh my God, that's like I have this beautiful forest picture here. I would love to actually be in that. So I can envision myself in that. And so with that, that's something that's different in the sense of I can see it, but what am I doing to get into that picture? Let me go to a forest or whatever it might be. So that's something where you always want to practice. If you see something, how are you moving yourself closer to that? So when we look back at the mediocrity that one may be experiencing, well, if I want to get closer, I have to create action. So I stand up, I do something. But when you can continually do something to create a habit, as we know, it's 63 to, six, or 63 to 66 times on average, which allows for someone to change the behavior. That's how a, a habit's created. And so with that, the more often you do something, the more you can become you can hone your craft. So for me, for six months, I went over and above that, but that's something I did every single day. And so for me, how it rolled out was I did a podcast, excuse me, I did my YouTube channel, then I did a podcast, then I did national radio. And now the next step the next iteration, and as we know, there's on average, I think it's five iterations per person, on average, five versions of one's vocation 
will change over and over again because it builds on each other. And that's yes. typically the, the reinvention that people have is five times. And so yes. with that, you'll find that for me, that'll be the, the fifth iteration for me. And then obviously there'll be more as things expand. But that's the whole goal is when you can flesh it out of what steps do I take to get me closer and you enact that and you get good at that step, then it's so easy to go to the next step. Uh, sometimes when people jump the gun, you know, if there's, let's say it's a 10 step process, like, oh, I, I'm the first two steps, I got it. But they haven't really sat with it. By the time they get to the fifth step, because their foundation wasn't as strong as it could, the, unfortunately, they're not going to fully embody what that change is, is because they didn't sit with that step. We're, you know, a microwave society. We want everything right now. So to sit in one of those steps can be very frustrating and very humbling. But the point is, is that it kind of strips away all the other elements of who a person is to just sit with it and say, I got this. I got it. Nobody can change my belief system because I understand this 100%. So right. everything I do, I want to be a part of the process and with with a lot of people I work with. And I want to understand it. I don't want to be considered an expert per se, but I want to understand the nuances of it. So I truly understand it because there's nothing worse than jumping the gun and going farther than you should in that moment. Because if your foundation and your understanding isn't there, then unfortunately you can only grow as far as whatever your the lowest step is. So if I'm trying to be at step five and I still haven't understand step two, well, I'm not going to really understand step five that well or really appreciate it because I'm my conscious mind or my experience is still at a lower level. So Absolutely. when you can slowly build yourself up to that, you'll find that you're so much more empowered uh, because when you have that empowerment, then it doesn't matter what life throws at you. You understand it and you know this, no, this is where I'm going to go. Regardless of what those, those naysayers may say, I know that this is the path I'm going to take. And we've all had those experiences where we're doing really well and then all of a sudden, boom, something happens. And as a leader, there's, <laughs> it can, you know, you can rethink this and be like, oh my gosh, is this what I'm supposed to do? And so those times at night when, you know, people may see you on the mountaintop, but at night when no one else is around, you're like, God, I don't know. The valley of <laughs> so humiliation. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So with that, that's when it comes back for me, that, that moment of reflection. James, why are you doing this? What is yeah. your motivation for this? And right. there's so many people who have wonderful talents and gifts, but if they're not truly clear on the motivation and the motivation isn't just a one and done, it's everything I say. For example, I always tell people, oh, well, if they see me sitting here, they could ask me, well, James, why are you sitting like that? Well, because it's comfortable. So why'd you wear the shirt? Because I didn't have to iron it. <laughs> so whatever it might be, when you when you ask someone, why am I doing this? It allows, it removes that autopilot concept and makes someone really intentional to say, I'm choosing to do this. So when it goes back to the weariness that we talked about earlier, or goes back to, am I supposed to do this? Then you know that I've chosen to do this. And so it's kind of like that quote earlier, if I'm 50% there, why go back? Because I'm halfway there. So everything is, why do you do what you do? What am I learning about myself right now? And the more often someone can assimilate that or really incorporate that into their life, then they live an intentional life as opposed to a reactive life. And if there's a reactivity, a reaction, what happens is that's that first response. And then that's the reaction. Second response, what do I do with this? So there's many entry points in how to live one's life. You just get to figure out which tool makes sense for you based on your personality. Your personality is going to be different than mine. Mine's going to be different than, than yours and other people as well. But the goal is, is that when you can use all these different techniques, it's like, ah, okay, well, this one works well for me. I'm going to stand up. My perspective is different. gives me the ability to think. And so that's multiple ways in which people can understand life is that there's nothing cookie cutter that works. It's just simply understanding, let me try something. And as we know, you can try something. If it worked, wonderful. If it didn't work, then throw it out. Right. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just right. simply say, what worked for you before? Let me do that again. You don't right. have to be like, oh gosh, I've never felt this way before. Well, of course you have. But right. if you felt that way, what'd you do? And then right. what worked and what didn't work? So you, right. now, you now know this didn't work. I'm not going to do that. This worked. I'm going to do that. And that then allows a person to have more of a cogent thinking or more uh, lucid thinking where they can say, okay, now 
that emotion's lowered. Now I can come from a place of being proactive and create whatever it is I need to do. I love I'm it. I'm so sorry. I'm talking so fast. No, 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 no. I love it. I love it. And I love the fact that you dialed into that vision is, I would call it like vision drips. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we think, oh, we ha- we just see this vision, but like, you know, you're driving thing. All these things that you're doing. And I look at my journey, even back running my company for 12 years. I knew the vision was there. I wasn't sure, but I could see little manifestations and mm-hmm. all, everything I did, even if it was foggy or the fog and friction of war, whatever you want to call it, I was still moving forward. And now I look at it and I'm like, all these things. So for leaders out there, you may not be able to see the mountaintop, but everything you're going to look back like you did, all your rehearsals, all your practices, mm-hmm. you do that not only is a learning continuum and, and build your experience back, but they all are, are little manifestations of your vision. And I think that's really important for leaders out there to know, because we all think we have to be so clear and and the orders are outlined. And, you know, sometimes that happens, but, but sometimes you just get this intuitive feeling and you start going and the vision, the vision, clear. it's like, I heard this pastor talking about the five loaves and two fishes. And he's like, remember, there was like thousands of people, the people in the back of that crowd, they did not know that a miracle was happening, but they were the recipients of it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, <laughs> all these things in life, I'm just day to day. Miracles are happening. My vision is being manifested. I may not be able to get up on it and see it, but that doesn't mean that all my work isn't somehow going out into the world and doing what it needs to do. And so I love that you really hit on that, that because I think people look at somebody like you and are like, well, you know, if I was that focused, everything would be clear. <laughs> That's so funny. I was <laughs> laughing because it's funny because yeah, I'm very focused in many ways, but if you look around my house, like maybe not right now, you can see some drawers that aren't fully closed or you can see <gasps> open. Doors. I know, I know. And so, but the thing is, it's like, I know my skill set. I'm very good at what I do. And then I'll go back and I'll close those things. But so when I would say that I'm focused, I want to be clear that when it comes to, as a content provider, yes, incredibly clear when it comes to some of my daily things. So I get, I can, I'm, str- I'm not struggling with that. That's something I do work on. However, let me throw this little, this, this is a little tidbit here as well. It's really important because everybody has a baseline of what tidiness looks like. And so tidiness is also reflexive of, w- of what the tidiness of one's thoughts or one's emotions. So when you know what your tidiness level is in your house, when you take that moment to say, let me, let me look around. Okay. Well, okay. If someone has dishes in the sink or someone has that, if that's your normal level of tidiness, Okay, I'm doing pretty well. But if all of a sudden you walk in your house, you're like, oh my gosh, there's like a bomb went off. Well, more than likely, you it's reflexive of your emotional turmoil. And so when you're aware of the emotional turmoil, you're like, oh, I didn't realize I was struggling with that, or maybe it was blindsided. And the reason why is because when you can do your everyday chores, you know that you are at the level that's your baseline. Mm-hmm. And if something starts to fall apart, then that's because you're too far in your mind and you're not allowing yourself to do everything you need to do. That's a really good and really good way yeah. of, of being aware of that. So then if you're struggling emotionally, then what you do is you literally clean your space. You put your space back to be tidy or even more tidy because then once you do that, it actually kind of puts all the pieces back in your thoughts in your thoughts as well. And that's how you can reset your mind and reset your thinking. So that's why for me, if I see those things, I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of my baseline of the doors aren't completely closed. And then I'm like, okay, I'm fine. But if I do come in the house, I'm like, what in the world? Then I'm like, all right, James, what is going on? So that's why there's so many times we don't realize that there are clues around us all the time to determine 
how functioning or how successful or how well we're doing or how perhaps how we're struggling. And so well, that's yeah, what's something... going on up here. Yeah, in the right. subconscious. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I love it. And so that's why everybody, that's a wonderful technique that anybody can use is simply that look is. at your house. And well, it's not, make your bed. That admiral that gave that speech, right. you know, if yeah, there's anything else morning, you do, yeah. just, you know, and then you can't crawl back in it and cry and hit the snooze. Right. I heard one person on the podcast say, don't call it an alarm clock, call it an opportunity clock. Oh, like, I like that. Like first thing out of bed, alarm, alarm. I have to get yeah, up and yeah. live another day. Ooh, no, opportunity clock. <laughs> I, you know? yeah, I love that. That is really good. <laughs> Maybe we should trademark that. And then I know, right? Like, you know, something else. <laughs> what I always tell people to do as well is if you're struggling, if you're trying to create something and there's a block there, like, why can't I do this? If you can, simply either sit in a different spot in your house yeah. or just rearrange your furniture in your office yeah. or rearrange the furniture in your house. Because in doing that, when you're resetting something, yeah. now all of a sudden everything looks different. And so if you're struggling to create a break a mental block, you move it in a different position. Oh, my house looks different. My office looks different. I love and that, that then you sit down you're like, yeah. aha, now uh-huh. let me think differently because you've created right. a space that is different. The foundation of that space is now different, which then allows you to think differently. Just like that, that diamond I was talking about, or that cube, uh, that diamond has a, all these different facets. And so when you move that diamond around, all of a sudden you see different facets. So if you're struggling to do that in your mind, move your space around. So you now are sitting in a different facet of that diamond, if you will. And all of a sudden you will understand and be able to break through whatever that mental block was. Well, that's a great way to wrap up vision because a lot of times it's there, but we're blocking it. So getting rid of the vision blockers is as yes. important as seeing it because if you're blocking it, you can't see it. You won't be able right. to see it. Yeah, yes. love it. Okay, James, so we unpacked a ton of stuff here. Okay. <laughs> Loneliness, weariness, vision, abandonment, and vision. Anything else from a leadership perspective while we have this wonderful audience here listening that you would like to share with some of the folks? You know, first of all, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be a guest on your show. You know, when I'm thinking about this as well, there's nothing worse than feeling like you are alone. So when you're talking to other leaders, be vulnerable and say, I don't know how to do this. Yes. Can you help me with this? Because a leader doesn't have to know everything. A leader just surrounds themselves with individuals who are the best in their field. So for me, if I don't know how to do something, I reach out to someone who does know how to do it. And then that vulnerability doesn't mean I'm not a leader. It just simply means I want to learn. So let me be vulnerable in this because if I'm teaching, if I can't teach vulnerability to others, if I'm not vulnerable myself. So for me to be able to just ask a question, it doesn't mean I'm not good at what I do. It just simply means I want to do something. So I would really encourage people, if you don't know something, ask because the more, (laughs) there's no dumb questions. It's just simply you ask a question and you'll get the answer. So, uh, because often if we, that's where that imposter syndrome can come in. Like, oh, I don't know everything. Well, of course, nobody knows everything. So when you ask people, well, now you know. And so that's one less thing you have to worry about. And so I would just really encourage people to be vulnerable, ask for help, ask for uh, someone's advice. And in that, that you can then weigh it against your own thought structure, your own, your own vision. Well, that was Mark Victor Hansen's book, right? Ask. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's right yeah. <laughs> what does the Bible say? You ask not, you receive not because you don't ask yeah, and then authorize. Okay. So speaking of that, asking and connections, how do people get in touch with you, James? Thank you. Once again, just simply go to the website at jamesmillerlifeology.com and they can connect with me there. I'm on, I'm pretty active on Instagram at jamesmillerlifeology, uh, Twitter, James M. Lifeology. I'm on Facebook, but that's not my niche, if you will. So jamesmillerlifeology.com is where the universal spot where you can find me. I love everything you can think, every podcasting platform, every radio station you can think of. And the name of the show is Lifeology Radio. Excellent. Okay, James. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for just encouraging me, thinking with me. And you gave me so many great, and I mean, I was scribbling notes, but I'm glad we recorded because boy, (laughs) I love it. Fantastic. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate it. 
You're welcome. And for our listeners out there, if you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button. Do us the honor of a five-star review and send us a note. And more importantly, share this with other leaders out there that are working to pay the price of leadership. And to all our tremendous tribe, we are so thankful for you. We couldn't do it without you. And you leaders out there, you keep on paying the price of leadership. We are right there behind you and have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.